0: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. I'm your host Ben Gardner and this week I'm joined in the studio by Cam Ponsonby, Taha Hashim and Phil Walker back from his holiday today. How was it Phil? Blimey, we're doing kind of knockabout chat.
1: Yeah, kick off. why not? It was g- genuinely marvellous. Um, it was my anniversary so I went went up north to Derbyshire and then it culminated in Jim Wallace's wedding over the weekend. Um Obviously, uh, a wisdom stalwart these days, uh, and he did a did a lovely speech. Did Jim? Then his best men did a very cricket-infused speech. Uh, but a, a good time was had by all. Taha joined us. He made the cut, um, conspicuously the only person from from this side of the business that made the cut. I was
0: surprised at that. Um, I, I was invited, but someone
1: had to man the man of death. Oh, here. I see. Uh, yeah. oh, I, I see. wasn't invited just she to turned just down. the record. But no, it's been lovely. Thank you for asking. I have to say that the, the, the cricket thing I know has existed. It's been going on um, in the last week. Uh, but you'll, you'll find that I might be a little bit hazy on one or two details. Just a bit of pre-warning for you.
0: Well, I, I actually, I clocked it as your anniversary because in the, what, the two home summers leading up to your wedding, Joe Root made zero test hundreds at home. And since you've tied the knot, he's made six test hundreds at home with one following minutes after. He, he made one on my on my actual wedding day, didn't he? Yeah.
1: Uh, last year against India, which was very good of him, I thought. Um, and I actually did a podcast on my wedding day <laughs> yeah. from the venue, um, a rival podcast. Other podcasts, believe it or not, are available. And I did do that one on the, the final word with with Collins et al. Yeah. Um, but no, thank you for asking, Ben, genuinely. Uh, now, let's crack on.
0: Yeah, let's get on to, well, we'll get on to some actual cricket in a second. First, we'll get on to people talking about cricket. Uh, the English Africa series starts this week, so we'll talk about who's winning the on and off field battles. Do the 100, do the One Day Cup. We've got a bad news for international cricket section, which is basically a weekly feature now, and it's a bump one this time. Uh, but let's start with English Africa and specifically South Africa. Uh, Phil, you've banned Baz Ball from the magazine, <laughs> which coincidentally is what South Africa have also sort of reportedly done in their dressing room. Dean Algar is telling everyone who'll listen, including WCM First, that he is absolutely not concerned by Baz Ball. He wants to make absolutely clear. He is not concerned about it. And Rick Norquia says when he's asked about it that it's like people talking another language. Uh, my question is, if this is basically a worthless concept that even McCullum and Rob Key don't like, why is it <laughs> seeming to irk South Africa so much? It's odd to be scared of something that doesn't exist. It's it's good to see that there's a little
1: bit of little bit of needle and, and a little bit of buzz in the build up to a series, uh, because obviously you tend to get all that stuff with Australia, but you don't tend to get it too much with other with other. They're more decorous. The build-up to normal Test series outside of the Ashes, but South Africa fancy this. Um, and under Elgar, they have built uh, a particularly spiky uh, and unified cricket team. The, the whole notion of 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 BB, whatever you want to call it, is obviously completely antithetical to Dean Elgar and the way that he understands cricket and the way that he wants to play cricket. Uh, and so, it does fit that he will, on an ideological level, feel distinctly uncomfortable with this whole idea. But also, one of the reasons why this word will die out, and I'm sorry, darling, but it will go. It will die out eventually, and it will go quicker than we think, is because, as McCullum himself alluded to, it does kind of cheapen and kind of commodify in a very easy media sort of way what is actually a very interesting and daring and imaginative yet still authentic way of playing modern test cricket. Um, so I get where Elgar's coming from and I like where Elgar's coming from. Uh, and it, give, it gives a bit of extra spice to it because it's an ideological question. How do you win games of cricket? Well, this is, this is what we'll see over the next, next five weeks. We'll see two teams doing, doing things in markedly different ways. Uh, and one will come out of it emboldened and the other one will come out of it slightly embarrassed. But uh, it's going to be one hell of a watch come what may.
2: It's kind of actually given the series a bit of build up. It's kind of the series kind of just appeared on me. You know, some someone last week was, uh, yeah, are you going to be at Lords next week? And I was like, oh, what's going on at Lords next week? Um, that's a reflection
1: yeah. of your personal relationship with the game, as much as anything. Yeah, else, I mean, it?
2: a bit, but I also think this. You know, we've just had a month of constant the constant white ball stuff, and you kind of forgot about the the actual ball. So oh, uh, nice it's back. Um,
1: yeah. There's been some understandable frustration that there's not been some real meaty Red Bull international cricket to get our teeth into in the height of summer. And I understand that frustration. Um, but as I said a couple of weeks ago, I don't mind that little interregnum between one and the other. That it, it, We can all have a bit of a breather. We can build up to it. And now we can feel legitimately, rather than we're just on this endless carousel, we can feel like we are now building to the, the, the rightful finale of the summer um in brackets, the ashes next year will be done by last week uh the full five tests will be done by last week this time next year which is a which is another issue tied into so many other issues of course but for for the here and now mid August going into early September, three test matches against two very very different but kind of complementary cricket teams uh on three good tracks as well and I think we should probably have a chat about what you can expect from each ground. Over this test series, uh, um, my, my appetite is uh, distinctly whetted going into it.
0: The last thing I mean this might be the last time we say Basball on the podcast is that I have slightly limited sympathy for uh, Key and McCullum saying, "Oh, we don't like this term people have come up with." When they've also gone out and labelled Stuart Broad the Nighthawk, I think you can you either like silly terms or you don't, and uh, you can either say, "Oh, we're not doing anything new," or you can promote Stuart Broad to try and pinch it in a chase of 500 or whatever uh, I, d- I don't know if they get to have it both ways but uh, anyway it is reductive though isn't it sure yeah yes no I mean it doesn't it doesn't there, there's, a... there's
1: one side kind of you know plumping up Stuart Broad's ever 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 delightful plumage and there's another thing reducing this whole ideology to to
3: one cute little Andrew Millerism who has a lot to answer for I mean long live Basball. well um <laughs> what everything needs a name it has to have a name it is
2: yeah sure it's a bit reductive but for the person who kind of tunes into the old test match and it might follow the game through a scorecard it it comes across like you know let's just go out there and smash it so it is fair to kind of call it call it that right
3: it's everything falling under one church it's just rather than having a fancy name it's two syllables called baz ball like that that's it Yes, fair enough. Uh, it probably doesn't help
0: Africa's case that they got uh, New england did, let's say, by the Lions in a warm-up game last week. Uh, after considering 433, the Lions responded with 672, with 90 odds for Dan Lawrence and Sam Billings and hundreds for Harry Brook and Ben Duckett before Ollie Robinson ran through the top order and Derbyshire's Sam Connors completed an innings win. Uh, Billings, the captain of that game, was in punch form afterwards. This was in response to Elgar's comments. Said, uh, we've been an international team over four days by an innings, in a manner of scoring 5.74 and over, you'd be pretty stupid to ignore that, if I'm honest. If that's not a wake-up call, because we're not even the best 11, so it's up to them, really, but I think I'd say that's a, like, a pretty strong statement. It should be said that South Africa weren't full-strength as well, without Nokia Nghili, and Ribada. although first-choice spinner, Keshav Maharaj, did get an absolute pasting. No where... harm either, right? Yeah, no harmer. Uh, Going nearly eight and over, Maharaj did. Uh, but yeah, so, so they they wasn't the attack that we'll see next week. Uh, And so it's kind of hard to work
3: out how good they are, Cam? How how much of a challenge will they pose, do you think? I kind of picture Dean Algar as this guy who bemoans the fact that, like, the cane's not allowed in school anymore. It's old school, like, hard-nosed testosterone-fueled cricket versus England's kind of, like, kumbaya cricket, and we'll find out who wins at the end of it. I think South Africa are going to be really nervous about how Maharaj went, like, England's B team. I think he went one for 168 of 22 overs, and that's loads that's loads of runs. And uh, Phil made an excellent point earlier off there, whether that helps or hinders kind of Simon Harmer's chances of of playing. Does it mean that Maharaj needs a bit of help to have with a second spinner? Or does it go, actually, spin's not the option to go with here and we'll just stick with one?
0: Yeah, let's get into South Africa's lineup. We'll, we'll do England in a bit, but South Africa's, I think the makeup of their team is more interesting because they haven't played in a little while. England's team is quite settled. There are a few questions about South Africa. Let's do Harmer first. Phil, will he play? Should he play? I think if they're feeling really daring,
1: they will pick him. I think there's more chance that he plays at Old Trafford and possibly at the Oval, but certainly at Old Trafford than there is at Lords. Uh, the problem is that they do not have uh, an effective batting all-rounder to fulfil that fifth fifth bowling role. And so they would... The the, the, the composition of their team is complex complex. And... Harmer obviously is a titan of English cricket, English red ball cricket and we all know that. And they will be wanting you would imagine to find a way to get him in there, but however you juggle that lineup, that mid to lower order, however you juggle it, you're lacking a little bit. You're either lacking a little bit in the bowling stocks in the pace bowling stocks if you play both spinners and you're lacking undoubtedly in with with the kind of the, that mid to lower order. You need strength in depth there, especially against England, because England have a strong mid-to-lower order themselves. Uh, and South Africa don't really have that option. They are looking at possibly playing Jansen, who is a bowling... Not even a bowling all-rounder. He's a, he's a bowler who, who who bats usefully. He's a 6 for 8 left-arm seamer. Um, he's nowhere near a test number seven, and yet it's looking like if they were to get Harmer in, they may have to play him at seven. And they may play their keeper, at six, play him at six, play play Jansen at seven. That is an incredibly long tail with Harmer then at eight. So they may play it safe, take Harmer out, bat uh, Jansen at eight. So you can play three seamers plus Maharaj. Maharaj will always play. He's their premier spinner and he's done very well, by the way. He was smashed out of the, out of the attack in that game against the Lions, but he, he did well. Not just away from home over the winter just gone, but he did okay in, in South Africa as well. Against Bangladesh, but he did very well, albeit on late summer South African pitches that turn a lot. But Maharaj plays come what may. My instinct is that Harmer won't play, that they'll bat Janssen at eight, the keeper at seven, and bring in an extra batsman. That's my instinct um, because that's kind of the safer way of going. and And at Lords as well, with a bit of rain... I mean, we'll get a a result, I'm pretty sure, but a bit of rain around, slightly more temperate than it's been up until now. Albeit, the pitch will probably still be relatively dry. But my instinct is that if Harmer plays, he probably comes into the second test. From a spectacle perspective, I would like to see Harmer play. I would like to see them try and back themselves, find some form in the top six without having to worry too much about that that mid to lower order. Uh, But it's traditionally not really the, the South African way to throw the cards in the air and, and hope that they land uh but then you know maybe in, in a three test shootout against a team that's going to be coming at you hard and trying to hit trying to hit you hit you hard uh they might just think all right well we'll we'll bring in a player of that kind of caliber Harmer's never played a test match obviously in england he's played seven test matches in his whole career across six years uh, and yet he's a giant of the english game so it will be really interesting to see
3: what which way they decide to go. I think the context of Harmer playing is really appealing to us as like English cricket fans because he's such been such a giant of the domestic game to kind of give a bit of context to everything we've seen in the recent years. Where we go, okay, this guy's been ripping through the county game. No one can can play him. How does he go against the kind of the best of best of English batters? Basically, so that's something I think when I think say think to myself, I want him to play is that that's not really for any tactical purposes do I necessarily think it's the best way for South Africa to go. It's because I'm interested. I'm interested what totally. happens.
1: And, and, and he is too, by the way. I mean, he, I've interviewed him a number of times and he says, well, I think I'm the best finger spinner in the world, but how can I ever say that unless I've played 60 test matches? And he is absolutely desperate to play. In a different era, they play him, I think, in as much as they would have enough faith in their top and middle order. So they wouldn't need to worry too much about who's batting seven, eight, nine. But in this side, where there are little question marks against a number of players' positions from 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 top to bottom, really, uh, it would be a big gamble for them to play five bowlers, of which two are spinners, at Lords in the first Test match.
2: In terms of balance, it probably. Like it just doesn't work, like you're saying, in a different era. You know, the, you're thinking of Jack Callis, basically, right? Yeah, but but
1: yeah. you're right. But also quality around them as well. At the moment, they've got an unproven number three, an unproven opening bat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
2: But it would be, and you know, again, this is I'm saying out of a sort of a perspective of curiosity rather than this is the, the sound tactical move. Uh, England's England's approach with the bat against New Zealand, where they kind of attack the spinner as well. Um, they faced off against Michael Bracewell in, in those two tests and, and it worked, but he's a guy who is only just, who only just started bowling in like professional cricket a couple of years earlier. Maharaj and Harmer, completely different perspective. I mean, um, and so that would be, the, um, the weather works in their favor. Um, it would be appealing to see, you know, Maharaj, sure he got a hit in the warm up game, but to watch those two try and, you know, to watch England try and attack two spinners with, that many first-class wickets between them. I mean, that would be, you know, that would be a proper, a proper test.
1: I I, I think, you're bang on, I think it's probably, there's more chance of South Africa winning the test series with Simon Harmer in their team. But, their traditions are such that they play attritional cricket and that they sit in games. well, I guess the the add on to that point is that the game is careering away from those traditions, and so perhaps they will feel like we need to need to eyeball England in which case you play your you play your gun spinner, even if it is at lord's
0: yeah, and I guess there's a, a few things i'd just add on on jansen that we've we've mentioned i think i I personally agree that he looks a bit high at number seven, but South Africa clearly really rate him, and they have picked him as a number seven in the past, so they clearly don't see it as quite. Uh, an impossible thing. So
1: It was in that one-off game, the second Test match, right, against India, I think, that they picked him at seven. Um, and you're right, what you say, they do rate him. And he's clearly a very good cricketer. His first-class record isn't very good yet with the bat, but he, he is young and and obviously massive space for him to improve. But that Test match that you talk of, they were one down in that series already, and so they had to play desperate cricket. They were one down against the best team in the world. Um, going into this series, you know at Lords as well. It's just a big call. It's a big, big call. I'd love to see it.
0: The the other thing I'd say is that if, if South Africa have, you know, they say they're not, they're ignoring how England have gone about it completely. If they have looked at it, they'll notice that England have basically been even on the first innings and then chased loads in the fourth innings. And so you might well want another fourth innings weapon right I suppose
1: just very I know we we don't want to turn this into the whether Simon Harbour plays at eight or not but it's been interesting to see how the English counties have tried to go at him in a way that they've never done before it could have an echo of what the test team's doing maybe I don't know but they have tried to attack him Hampshire tried to attack him and they had a bit of success against them even in the fourth innings he got them in the end Um, Same with Surrey as well here. They went after Simon Harmer, Surrey. So this is a new approach to try and manage the unmanageable. Uh, If he were to play, as I say, England would go after him. It would open up South Africa's chances to win the game more, but it would also potentially open them up to get to get stuffed.
0: Yeah, nice 10 minutes on a player who I think we all agree probably won't play. <laughs> that's a, that's good. Uh, final thing on South Africa, just for the moment. Um, we talked a bit about their batters. It looks like it will be Elgar, Saral Irvi and Keegan Peaton in the top three. But Cam, you think there's a, probably a, a shootout for the four and five spots at the moment as it stands?
3: So Fidos Munda at um, Crickinfo, she's, she's a South African correspondent, been reporting on it. Basically, been saying it's four into two of Vanderdussen, Aidan Markram, Ryan Rickleton, and Kaya Zondo. Um, and it just seems like it is one of those selections where there is South African kind of politics and history wrapped up in the selection. Um Kaya Zondo has had a fantastic domestic season, scored a double century, averaged about 70. Um, he scored 80 against the Lions, and so he's really pressed his case. He was also the kind of catalyst for the SJN hearings that's just been happening recently um, and was a very public figure within that. And so now, in the aftermath of that, there's a feeling of okay, if this guy plays, it's South Africa moving forward in a more progressive way. But there also becomes the pressure of everything attached to that. Similarly, if it's flipped and he's not picked, um, is the idea of oh, South Africa going back on it and it has things not been learned uh she writes very well on it and far better than i can explain it briefly um but it'll be it's both a kind of yeah fits fitting four into two and kind of all the political ramifications that thereby follow
1: yeah well summed up a tricky one obviously it's probably worth explaining to, to the listeners that south africa have a requirement to select on average six non-white players across all of their formats across every 12 month period so if you see fewer than six uh, laws it doesn't they're not going against their quota system or or their requirements but you have to but you have they, the selectors it's a terribly tricky job and you have to manage this over the course of 12 months um the, the 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 lad in question he's 32 years old and he doesn't have a particularly strong record if you look at it in bold stats but you're right he had a very very good winter just gone um they they miss Bavuma, right? Bavuma would be a stick on at five. He doesn't make many hundreds, but he makes a lot of important runs, a lot of important contributions. And he's now a very key part of their management setup. So missing him with injury for the whole series is a really big blow. Um, for what it's worth, Markram, I've always thought he's a good player, but he never seems to get any runs. Um, he always sets up nicely. He always looks good. He looked okay in the one day as he made a couple of, couple of scores. Uh, and Van Der Dusen obviously did very well in the one day as he doesn't have much of a test record to speak of, but he always looks again like a pretty tidy player. So so it'd be really, really interesting to see which way they go. I have a few concerns about Peterson at three. I thought he looked okay against India, but he's very, very wristy and he's very inexperienced in English conditions. He didn't do great at Durham when he came in and batted three there. He's good to watch. Um and I'd like to be proved wrong because I really want to see a competitive series, but but I have a few concerns about him at three.
0: And just you, you, you quite like Ryan Wreckleton as well, don't you, Phil?
1: Well, I mean, he has a really good record uh, for Northants. He tore it up, averaged seventy-five for Northants, and he keeps as well. But but they want to go with the keeper that they've brought in post De Cock, who and he's done okay. Um, Rickleton looks like a very good player to me and maybe in the fullness of time he might end up being the keeper bat but I think it's a bit early for him now he'll probably miss out especially as I think he got a first baller in the the Lions game.
2: Uh, Bavuma is kind of the is the type of player who kind of suits the rhythms of kind of test cricket in this country in terms of kind of recent years where you're not getting both teams aren't putting up big scores but it's kind of it comes down to sort of that kind of key middle order seventy or eighty. He's a guy who still only has one test century, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, but he's kind of he's kind of the big loss. He's kind of the you know, despite the kind of bank of big scores, he's averaged, I think, close to fifty over the last couple of years. Um, and um he was kind of what swayed it for me in terms of kind of when I was making a series prediction for for the magazine a few weeks ago.
0: Let's move on to England, and uh, I spoke to Mark Butcher about what this series could mean for a few of the individuals in the side. Hi, Butch. We recorded last week ahead of the England Lions game against South Africa, when basically everyone sort of on the fringe on the test side. It looked like made runs. You had big runs for Lawrence, Billings, Brook, and Duckett. Obviously, none of those are going to really push to play in that first test. But the question I wanted to ask is, how does that kind of like affect the mindset of? I mean. Let's start with Zach Crawley, who we haven't talked about for at least two weeks in the podcast. Um, obviously, he's going to play. He's got in full backing, uh, even though he struggled for runs between the last Test Series and now. My question is sort of firstly, how long does he get? But also, what is the mindset like of a player in that sort of situation when you look and everyone else is getting runs and you sort of can't get it away? And you're sort of playing, but maybe you're wondering, what do I need to do to score runs? How long am I going to get that sort of thing? What will be going through his... Head and also just how much can we trust England saying, look, we back Crawley to the hilt. Uh, he plays no matter what sort of thing.
4: <laughs> he needs to score some runs. There's no doubt about it. for his own sanity. He needs to score some runs. I mean, you know, the fact that he's been he's gone away to the hundred and he's and he scored none. He scored none in the championship. Scored none in the lead up to the Test series. He's made 40, with his highest score, wasn't it? In the, the run chase. at edge for his own mental health, he has to score runs, whether they back him to the hilt or not. And and it gets to the point where should he, you know, should he fail again at Lords, the, the kindest thing, the of thing to do is to leave him out. The backing thing is is all well and good, but it, it gets to it gets to a point where you're damaging the player more than you're helping him by keep pushing him out the door and into the uh, into the the, the bright lights. So um, you know. Supporters of Crawley will be fingers crossed that he makes makes a, a significant contribution at Lords. Those that would like to see him gone and uh, and never return will be will be hoping that the status quo continues and that some of the other some of the other hopefuls get a chance. I suppose the only issue with that is that the hopefuls that are making all the runs are not opening batters. Um, so you know, in terms of. You asked about sort of like the threat from the from the guy scoring lots of runs elsewhere. Well, there, that hasn't necessarily been one um, for people that would be challenging his place. But that doesn't alter the fact that you know it's been a, it's been a scoring a run scoring summer, um, and England's opening batter at the moment hasn't hasn't joined the party at all. So um, I think that's where we are. I mean, I, I think that there comes a there comes a time when you know you have to take all of the assurances and whatever with a little bit of a pinch of salt because. The, um, the, the player himself and 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 those in the dressing room will be desperate for him to succeed, but if he doesn't, it, it then becomes a you know a, almost like a, like a mercy killing to take him out of there and give somebody else a go.
0: Um, and you're right in saying that the players that made runs aren't obvious opening options, and it almost feels like with some of them, I guess especially with Harry Brook, you're almost getting to the point where you're having to f- almost figure out a way to fit him in rather than like waiting for a slot to become available. And so I I guess related to that is the question of how how convinced are we by Ollie Pope at number three right now? I mean, obviously he starts the series, uh, but I mean, and he got that that really good 100 against New Zealand, but he's also, I think he's averaging mid 30s for the summer, I think. It's not as if, I mean, it's a tricky one, I guess. Are we going to have to have that conversation soon? I suppose.
4: Well, the well, the, the issue with, the issue with Crawley is 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 uh, Ollie, Ollie Pope is not the solution to the issue with Crawley. So we'll treat them as separate the separate things that they are. If um, Harry Brook is going to play, the only place for him in the batting lineup that is free at the moment, unless suddenly he's going to turn into a, a Test match opening batter, which I would suggest is probably not a great way to start your Test match career batting in such a specialist position, um, which is such a long way away from what you do normally. Um, and so it, it is the number three spot, for sure. I mean, he's not going to bat four. That's Joe Root's position. He's not going to five. That's Johnny Bairstow's position. And he's not going to six because the captain's there. So um, that would, again, that would be the obvious the obvious spot. However, I suppose you, I suppose you look at it and go, well, if they've given... If they've given a bloke who hasn't made a hundred this summer in Test match cricket, hasn't made fifty in Test match cricket, all of the assurances in the world that he's going to play, then you would imagine the same would apply to uh, to Ollie Pope. So, at the moment, Brook is on the outside looking in, and and you know hoping for hoping for a change of heart around around something around the backing of the players that are playing, or you know heaven forbid an injury to somebody else, and and then he comes and takes his chance because he's certainly ready for it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then just on Pope himself, I mean. As far as selection goes, I agree. I think he probably gets the summer. But are, are, are you convinced? I guess from a technical standpoint, I mean, and f- from everything else, that he has the things for for Test match number three. Have we seen that this summer? Do you think?
4: Um, no, not yet. No, but uh, but again, he, he, he made a hundred batting there, in a, you know, out of out of position, presump somewhere that he never bats. So he's got he's got something, hasn't he? Um, and you know, there there is still. There is still that sort of skittishness about about his play, particularly when he first gets to the crease, and um, you know. <clears throat> but if the um, if if the if the backing again the backing for him is the, is the same as it is for Crawley, then he's not in the position, as far as I'm concerned, yet whereby he needs to be withdrawn for his own for his own sure, good, yeah. you know. And we'll see, won't we? He gets another get another three Test matches here. Um, you know, high summer. We've had we've had blistering weather. The pitches should be decent. Although my fear is that when when we get lots of hot weather, and that 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 might change over the course of this week. In fact, it looks almost certain to that um, the balance between how much water is put in put into the surfaces, and then how much how much rolling is done, and whatever, and then then how the pitches come out after that um, is always a little bit of a worry. They they, they tend particularly after the um, the outfields have been sand-based and whatever, they tend to turn out to be very crusty and, and, and therefore not necessarily that easy for batting on. You know, we talk about sort of the green the green ones and the nibblers and, and the things in the beginning of the season. We didn't see many of those. But then you get to the to the back end of the season where you think, well, the sun's been out, they should be great for batting and the spinners should have a good time. The spinners will have a good time, I think. Simon Harmer's going to enjoy himself. <clears throat> But then you also, you also think that, that you, know, you might end up in a situation where the ball holds quite a bit and it becomes, um, it becomes quite difficult to play your strokes freely. So, you know, fingers crossed that, um, that the groundsmen at Lords managed to, uh, to navigate all of those different and difficult uh, variables and produce something that's, uh, that's worthy of the occasion.
0: Yeah, it's a good point, actually. I mean, we've, you talked about ground staff before on this show and uh, this will just be an absolutely new challenge for quite a lot of them like they've never had to prepare it when it has been this hot in the build up because it has been so freakishly warm basically and, and how they go about doing that i mean i kind of wouldn't be surprised if kind of any sort of surface comes out because, you know, you get either over compensation, which would be understandable, or they kind of do their normal thing and it becomes like a sort of a baked flat one. It will be kind of quite fascinating to see, I guess.
4: Yeah, well, I don't know. The thing is, I don't think it will be flat. I, that's, that's my concern. I mean, if it, if it turns out to be a, a flat one, then fine, you know. Um, in the old days, the, the pitches at Lords um, used to get quicker as they, as they went along. They didn't necessarily do much more. They didn't break up, but they used to sort of really carry through and scoring rates got, got faster. Um, the evidence of the pitches that I've seen and the games that I've seen at Lords this year is that they haven't been like that at all. You know, they've, they've been actually quite difficult to to score freely on. Um, and as I've said, the sort of if the balance between the water water added and the and the the rolling and, and whatever else isn't quite right, then you end up with something where by the ball holds and grips a lot um, and makes sort of makes batting less than straightforward. So we shall see. Look, I'm, I'm no expert on these things, but I've played played on enough of them and, and watched enough to know what can happen um, given, given the weather we've had, um, you know, it's not, it like Australia whereby you hot sunshine, water, roll, bake in the sun. It then it compacts and becomes like concrete for, for two or three days and then break, you know, then you get the big, big linear cracks and it, and it, and it breaks up and, and anything can happen, you know, up and down movement or pace or, you know, big turn out of, out of the rough. Um, ours, ours don't react like that. It's not the soil is completely different, so it's a it's a different kettle of fish when we get hot
0: weather. There were two bowlers in that Lions game who are in the Test squad who stood out. So Overton took five for in the first innings. I guess you'd be surprised if he leapfrogged anyone to get into that first Test eleven. But Ollie Robinson took a really important three for in the second innings. And he bowled Dean Algoa with the second ball of uh, of that innings. Um, Sam Billings was talking about how fit he seemed. Sam Billings I mean, was the Lions captain in that game saying that he. Um, uh, you know his fourth spell is as quick as his first spell. Uh if England are fully convinced of his fitness, how close does he become to that to getting into that first choice test team or do they give it one more game or two more games?
4: Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think he is that close to be honest with you, because I think he's he's a replacement for one of Anderson abroad. Do you see what I mean? I don't think he's I don't think all three of them play. Hmm. Um you no, know, presuming that Stokes can play a relatively full part as a, as fourth seamer, Potts has done has done more than enough to warrant his place in the side. Anderson and Broad are both playing because they they've been they've been back to do so by the by the management. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and and therefore he doesn't he doesn't quite make it in. And and look, I mean, you kind of couldn't be a more English bowling lineup, could it really? Whichever whichever one of the the, the three seamers play plus Stokes. Um, you've got sort of mid mid to low eighties seam and swing bowlers, um, right arm, you know, uh, and and so, and that's not that's not selectors' fault or anything like that. That's the, the fitness of the of the extreme pace guys that, that are knocking around. We none of them are able to get on the park, so they're very very fine bowlers, all four of them. But you do you do think to yourself, well, given whatever set of circumstances, losing the toss and a blistering hot day and um, a, a flat deck. You're thinking, wow, it could be hard work. A lot of work for Jack Leach, regardless. I think um, over the course of uh, over, over the course of this, but I think you know Ro- Robinson in the squad. He will make an appearance at some at some point because the, the conditions um, have a chance of being relatively brutal, um, with or without the <laughs> with or without the impending thunderstorms
0: I'm just I'm just curious how that's kind of happened. I guess because it felt like the consensus was maybe towards the end of the Ash Series before the fitness and injury concerns Robinson really loomed their head that he was perhaps edging ahead of Broad in that cure I mean he played the first test ahead of him uh he obviously had a much better record than Broad well Broad was injured for a bit but he had a brilliant record that first year Broad has not set the world on fire I mean he's not been awful by any means but he's not set the world on fire since coming back into the team this summer but you think he's, he's still ahead of him just kind of because he's Stuart Broad, and because we know what you can do, sort of thing.
4: Yeah, I think I think so. And again, you know, I'll I put an old record on of mine. I was so frustrated that, that neither, the, the, in particular that Stuart didn't go to the West Indies, because as I said before, I, I think I think they should have taken him and they should have played him, and that potentially that would have that it, he would have he would have retired if he'd have played if he'd gone there. The first two Test matches would have done for him. <laughs> Now he's he's you know he's back in the team he he's a senior player he kind of he, he deserves he does deserves the, the the pick, um and for now he's in the team, that might not be the case by the time we get to, to the third test match, mm-hmm. um but it, but for now yeah absolutely absolutely and Ollie Robinson will, will have to, to wait his turn there's no you know there's no way that the the, the that Anderson and Broad and perhaps even pots you know, are going to make it through through three more back-to-back Test matches, despite the fact that they've had they've had the time off. Um, and so, you know, it's very it's very much it's very much a, a squad, a bowling squad that has been picked, and I expect they will all play their part over the course of three matches.
0: Final things on the Test series: How do you actually see it going? I mean, South Africa obviously beaten in that Lions game, but that wasn't the first choice attack by any means. Uh, there's been some quite bullish remarks from both camps ahead of this series about whether England's new style will come a cropper against Africa uh, how, how do you see it going
4: well I mean difficult, always difficult to, to back against England at home and, and even more difficult given what they've done already in, in, over the course of the summer going to be a niggly old series I think I, I'm not sure that there's going to be a great deal of love lost between the two the two teams along the way just from the, reading the, the opening comments before anything's happened um, and they always tend to be quite spicy in England South Africa series um, particularly over here so uh, I think that South Africa are going to be very, very tough. I think you know, watching somebody like Anrik Nokia If Nokia and, and Jansen both end up in the in the team, that's a, a huge, huge test for for England's batters. And of course, Simon Harmer is a, is a, an addition, is is as a weapon that South Africa haven't really had in in their um, Test match teams, which is a, a high class spin bowler. Which is not to say that you know the the, the various people who've who've held the role as sort of um, south africa's slow bowlers over the years haven't been good it's just that this guy is a is a proven wicket taker and he brings a little bit of something extra um i think to their to their to their lineup so that's going to be really interesting I, i'm i cannot tell you how much i'm looking forward to it it's been great to great to be around sort of on on the hundred and, and watching all the white ball stuff but having had a break you know having had enough time to sort of build up some anticipation ahead of another test match series it, it means that it's uh, very much looking forward to it and I'd want the weather not to spoil it.
0: <laughs> and so f- final thing. So just, just before we started recording last week, the news broke that former international umpire Rudy Curtson had passed away, a figure in so many moments in cricket's history. He was the umpire that knocked the bales off the end 1,005 Ashes, loads more sort of sort of legendary umpire in the game. You- you'd have played in games that he, that he umpired in. Uh, what-, what are your memories of him? It's been just basically an a an universal outpouring of affection, it seems like.
4: Yeah, yeah, he was just—he was a terrific guy. I mean, what you want, what you want from your umpires, clearly first and foremost, is they get decisions right. And he straddled the um, the, uh, the pre and, and post DRS eras. But you also, you know, you also you need you need a little bit of humanity from them and a bit of a sense of humor. I think you know the the, the very best umpires um, are those that are that see the players and see the game as, as as things to be enjoyed. And yes, they they have to be in charge, but. There was a way of being in charge, and I think he had exactly the right sort of balance between, you know, don't mess with me. This is you're you're on my turf, but also that you know, this is great fun, and and we can all see the funny side of a lot of things. And when and when umpires have that manner and demeanor about them, you kind of you forgive them their uh, their their glitches um, uh, more readily than than those perhaps who are a little bit less welcoming to the uh, to the human side of the game. And and off the field, he was a lot of fun too. You know. always you know to be found propping up the bar and he'd, he'd buy you a drink and, and you'd have a chat about the world and everything else and he he was just a really good guy really nice fella um and um the legacy of the the slow death the long slow finger coming up will be uh, i'm sure copied around the place uh and um yeah it's a re- really sad news really sad news
0: yeah there were two things i clocked this week on that so there, there was one that was a video doing the rounds of uh and appearing for appealing for lbw against justin langer and curtson starts going for the, the slow finger raise and then turns it into a just going down the leg side which reviews everyone and there was also um because he was the umbar who incorrectly gave out sangakara for 192 at hobart when he was sort of playing one of the great innings sangakara walks off obviously fuming but it was the the, the aftermath of that where cousin t- had since said that uh he watched it back realized he'd made an error went and said to sankara i'm i'm so sorry i thought it was uh back than shoulder it turns out it was shoulder than helmet i've i've, I've, I've got that wrong i'm really sorry mate and then sangakara poster really nice tribute to him um which is uh just nice and i think shows how uh yeah that humility that you mentioned and uh that humor kind of comes through um that made him such a brilliant umpire
4: yeah great and, that, and that's it you know everybody we all make mistakes players perhaps more than umpire well not perhaps definitely <laughs> and you know it's there's nothing wrong with i think it happened yesterday actually i think that uh, Graham Lloyd, young Bumble um, made an error with a, you know, he gave a wide to a ball that I think might have hit the bat or hit something on the way through, and kind of there was, you know, there was no flash point because he he thought, hang on, there was something not quite right there. He checked with his partner at square leg, which I wish umpires would do a lot more. What do you think? He said, no, I think there was there was something on that definitely, and he crossed his arms and changed the decision. And the game goes on, you know. There's no, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, with, with holding your hands up and saying that you know none of us are perfect and, and Rudy was was the best of them because he he understood that as well as anybody Cheers Birch thanks loads for your time
0: Taha Mark and I spoke about Crawley who will obviously definitely open against Africa but if you had to pick two players who would you predict will be opening for England in the first test in Pakistan this winter
2: well they've showed so much faith in the two guys up the top right now I mean I could still see them potentially opening in Pakistan I know it kind of doesn't fit in with how it's been for the last few years, where it's just impossible to string together the same opening partnership for, you know, more than a couple of series. But they might they might just back them again more. Uh Leeds obviously done pretty well. Crawley, the record doesn't look great. The the argument is sound not to pick him. And yet and yet in the last innings of that India Test, he suddenly looked he looked that player again where he looked uh, like he was being disciplined, like he wasn't going to, you know, he, he was he was watchful to begin with. And then as he's kind of seen off a new ball, then he starts to play his shots. Uh, and so he will continue to to give that sort of, that sense of hope that, yeah, maybe there's an innings where, where it all comes together again for him. Um, and be, yeah, simply because they've shown so much faith in them, right now I can still see them opening in Pakistan.
3: I don't know what the pairing might be, but I'd like. I think Keaton Jennings is actually a lot closer than people realise. He got selected for the England Lions again. Uh, he's got a reputation for being an excellent player of spin. Um, when you're going over to Pakistan for three tests, I also think England really want to stick with the pair at the moment. And if Safe Crawley fails for another three Test matches, I don't think they're ready for like another long term relationship with an opener. I don't think they know who they want that to be. There's a lot of people competing for it but there's no one which is standing out as the obvious next cap of the rank. And so if you can have Keaton Jennings as like a a stopgap kind of fling uh, I think that works for all parties involved.
2: With the Jennings thing, um, obviously he has this reputation of playing really well in the subcontinent. I mean the numbers stack up but I think people also need to note that Pakistan is a very different place to Mm. to India and Sri Lanka. Um, Spin really didn't play much of a role in the series against Australia. It was all about um, quicks and quicks with a reverse swing at high pace. And that will be the kind of the key challenge. He
1: he, he gave a good interview to you for the, the current issue of the magazine in which he outlined a few of the technical changes, advancements that he's, he's introduced to his game. Um, he he says there's a lot better rhythm to his game. He'd become very mechanical in his early iterations as a test match player Uh and wasn't able to adjust to the late swinging delivery, albeit one or two of them were absolute jaffers. I mean, he got stitched up by a boomerang with one of those all-time breakbacks into his inside knee, the inside of his knee. Uh, I think he's a different player now. He he's, he hit triple hundred, didn't he? He's he's, he's at double hundred as well in recent times. He's a bit, he's a good player and he's a, he's a good bloke. Stokes likes him. They're good friends from Durham years as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the squad, at least, for Pakistan, regardless of how these two go.
2: And and he can play shots. He's kind of actually, people don't talk about it enough, but he is a very good white ball player. I was actually kind of surprised that he's not, you know, been anywhere close to 100 deal or anything like that. But um,
1: I, I, w- I would just add on the idea that you, you're now undroppable. It doesn't matter what you've done. Uh, I don't think that's the reality. I think Zach Crawley is playing for his test career. Uh, but I don't think he has to do an enormous amount I think if he can, if he can change, if he can change the, the the tone and tempo of a session or two, that's what they're after. That's what they're looking for from their opening bat. Uh, McCullum said this quite clearly, which is when you hear it from a coach, an you know, extraordinary thing to say. But he said, "We don't expect him to be consistent. <laughs> that's not really why he's there. He's not out there to sort of churn and suffocate a bowling attack." He's out there to change a game over an hour or two. Now, I'm not saying that his 45 or 40-something in the chase against India was the defining knock of that of that chase by any means, but it did illustrate what they're after from him. He also did it in the first test match of the summer as well. Now, two 40s clearly don't make a career. Uh, and if he continues to pockmark the odd suggestion of being a player with blobs, and binary scores then your time will be up and it doesn't matter how you know liberal and open and and cosseted you are within that within that new setup you've got to go in the end so he is playing for his career but as I say I don't think he needs to do anything dramatic to be to be kept in there uh answer to your question I I actually think that for what it's worth I think that Crawley has more of a more longevity as a test cricketer than than Alex Lees does, personally. Um uh, I can see them both playing in, in Pakistan. I can see neither of them playing in Pakistan. I think we've got to get away from this idea that it's this closed shop and a and a buddy network. You know, it doesn't matter how how good how good or otherwise you are, you'd always be in that side. I don't think it's going to play out like that.
0: You actually didn't answer the question, but that's fine. J- James, 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 James
1: Vince, I can see I can see featuring somewhere. In the top three for the England cricket team again, um, and I can absolutely see Jennings in those conditions getting getting the nod. I don't think there are any other obvious opening bat candidates. Haseeb Ahmed, we've talked about not yet, yes. not not against the real quicks in Pakistan, but
0: but come the start of next summer, you never know. He's done very well. It was interesting that Duckett batted at number five in that Lions game because he bats three for knots. He's got a really really good record over the last few years. Actually, he's got one of the highest first class averages in the country. And he also does play with that tempo that they like and is clearly just an improved player as well. So I don't know if they see him as an opening option considering he came in the middle order then.
1: It's a a good question that because I looked at that order and I saw that Lawrence was at three. Lawrence obviously batted three for England against India once, but he's not a three by tradition. Uh, Maybe it's simply a hierarchy thing that they thought, Lawrence, you're the last man out of the team. So we'll put you in the gun position at three. Or maybe... They, they think if there is a way for that lad to get back into the side, then it possibly is in the, in the three slot, you know, either side of, well, with possibly Pope coming down in due course, down into four or five, you know, as, as he moves through through his career. Or maybe it was just see who you, you got on the morning of the game and, and stick him in there. Um, Duckett's Duck an interesting name to throw into the mix though. And again, obviously he's got experience of playing subcontinent cricket as well as a test player. So we shall see.
2: On the complete so flip side, to that, I mean, Sibley obviously got picked in this line squad. Um, he struggled in that, you know, when they went to Sri Lanka and India, he struggled obviously. Um, but when you look at that first test in India, I think he got about eighty something on there, and that was a pitch where that might be more akin to what you might see in Pakistan, where it's it is just a proper road.
1: It, it would re- it, it would require yeah, it would require a a real uh, about turn though, wouldn't it? With their, their ideology, to go back to a player who, for all his developments technically in the last twelve months, in, with regards to Sibley, he is still a, an old-fashioned accumulator of an opener. And while we can think that there's absolute value in it, and England may yet think there's value in it, there's been scant evidence that that's how they want their openers to play.
2: But he, I'm just saying this because he got picked in the Lion squad, so yeah. Yeah, there must be still some sort of kind of thinking there that he he could be a part of it. Yeah.
1: People will say, "Why haven't we mentioned Rory Burns?" people will say that he's he, he started the season quite slowly. I thought for Surrey, but he's he made a couple of scores in Red Bull Cricket. Latterly, he looked okay. Looked a bit scratchy here and there, still. But you know what you're going to get with him. Personally, I think if they're going to go, if they're going to change their opening pair, then they will live a little, and I think they'll look at somebody else.
0: I want from each of you one area where the series will be won and lost, and a scoreline prediction. Phil,
1: I think England will win the series two one. I'm even leaning to a 3-0 actually, but I put it 2-1 before and I'll stick to that. The one coming from like a spectacular blowout, one session where it all goes horribly to pot and they can't cling it back somehow. You know, you can't keep doing it. You can't keep pulling rabbits out of the hat. So I think the one will come with with a kind of hilarious collapse one afternoon. Um, But I think England's middle order against south africa's middle order will will win the day i think there'll be top order wickets on both sides uh i think both teams will be looking at 70 for 4 uh, one or two times in the in across the the series but i think england at 5 6 7 they're strong i think stokes is due stokes will have a big series with the bat is my prediction and i think south africa's middle order mid to late order mid to lower order is is as we've said um yeah, a tricky, tricky thing to to figure out. So yeah, two one England, and that's where they win it
3: in the guts of their of their middle order. Cam, I'd go. Uh, I'm going to go two one either way, which is a bit of a fence sit.
1: Not no, start again. You can't say that. You can't. I say... can
3: say that if I give a good reason, I can say it. The reason being, the reason being, one team's going to do well. One team's not going to do. I well. think you've got two strong bowling attacks. One against a fragile batting lineup in England. The other against an unproven batting lineup in South Africa. It's going to be a shootout. I think we have, we have three results. I think the defining bit will be, as touched upon earlier, England's batters against South Africa's spinners. Do they go after them? Do they succeed in that, or do they all get out? Two one either way. Fair enough. I'm I'm, I'm going to let it slide, and I'm going to go to Tar.
2: Believe it or not, I uh, wrote two one in the magazine. Uh, South Africa's batting lineup still just lacks a bit of stability. Quinton de Kock still replaceable. He'll be you know playing in the hundred and said. Um, uh, pace of Nokia, Robada. Uh, what the New Zealand Test Series missed, what New Zealand missed was someone bowling in the excess of 90 miles an hour. I think from the numbers I got after the first two tests from QuickViz. Matt Henry was who's kind of, on average, he was the quickest and he was, must have been bowling sort of kind of high 80s. No one was pushing 90 miles and going beyond 90 miles an hour, uh, which is what norkia will do. Uh, he's not played Test Cricket for a while, so I'm quite excited to see him back. Um, but yeah, I just think England have, I think they'll lose a test just because
0: they've got to at some point. They've got to at some point. Yeah. Right. Let's do our bad news international cricket section, which is basically a weekly thing now. Trent Bolt has been released from his New Zealand central contract, so he's not retired, but will be available significantly less. And he has specified that the reason why he's doing it is at least in part to play more domestic cricket, which means franchise T20 cricket essentially, which is entirely fair enough from his point of view. Uh, I mean, we don't know if he's played his last test. We don't know that he definitely hasn't. Uh, Phil, you and I were both at Headingley to see that incredible new ball spell. Less, less Trent Bolt is a is a bad thing for the international game, isn't it?
1: Unquestionably, uh, I've forgotten about that spell. It was one of the the great spells, clean bowled three three England players. I think it for the first time in about hundred years, anyone had done it uh, in in the first three wickets to fall in an opening spell. Uh, yeah, look, this is the this this is the way that it's been for a while. But if you ignore his age, 33, and if you can sideline what he's done as an international career now for the best part of, what, eight, nine, ten years, which gives him the moral authority to walk away, if you ignore that, he's still a top, top class international cricketer. This is not an international cricketer who is waning, one who has given all that he has and can't really give any more in terms of quality, in terms of match affecting quality. He's not there. He's far from there. And so it's a, it's a, it's a real loss if we have seen the last of him as a New Zealand cricketer. Undoubtedly, uh, he's also a lovely bloke who's given everything he's got to the cause. It, it, and <laughs> if you're a fast bowler in particular, then you look at those last two or three years of your of your time, and it would take a particularly selfless, uh, almost martyr-like figure to to not be tempted by by the ever increasing expanding circus that, that passes for, for white ball franchise cricket. Shame though.
2: I mean, I've just been trying to um, kind of feel not too down about it, trying to convince, convince myself that, he, you know, he's 33. Um, he's played a lot of cricket, kind of achieved a lot. And, you know, he's still not retired, essentially. He can, he's still, you know, right. available to play for New Zealand, you know, if they, if they pick him. Um, but it's hard not to get existential about this and wonder what, what happens next and, and where the game goes and where the the, the players that uh, make international cricket great go. I mean, he's still probably, would you say he's probably the best left arm quick in the world? I mean, it's between him, Shaheen, Stark, but from what he's done across all three formats for a long period of time, you could make the case that he's, he's number one and we won't get to see him play international cricket anymore but you know we once in a while potentially but th- there are no guarantees now um and it's kind of made me think about you know we we spent all this time talking about the the crisis of test cricket that it now becomes an argument about the crisis of international cricket and what does that mean to us um yeah we,
1: we've we're reaching tipping point quickly yeah. uh, it's like we've been asleep at the wheel for for a few years and suddenly everybody's waking up to to the reality here uh but by the start of next year you'll have had four countries where that one IPL side will have will have been appearing across the course of next year. And with the UAE thing which is you know, over overwhelmed by by filthy money, uh Australian players in, the, in their prime are now looking at it and thinking, right, how can I extract myself from the irritations of the Australian season and my Australian contract and my BBL contract and so on? And how can I find a way into this? Trent Bolt, because he's from New Zealand, has less, uh, there's less expectation because there's less money circling around New Zealand cricket. Um, and so that they are more pragmatic about it and they've had to be so for a number of years, like the same with the West Indies. But when you see the big boys also... <laughs> looking elsewhere that's when you really start to to realize that the whole social contract the fabric of the thing is fraying at the edges uh and that we need to do a whole show on all of this and we also need to try and not do it from a position of despair either because you know the, the world changes and good things remain within it uh but yeah it's an interesting time to say the least. Uh, when when we look at the, the carve-up of the international game and what's left of it.
0: Yeah, so on that UAE League, it seems like David Warner, who had uh, been reported that he was considering playing and missing the Big Bash, uh, it seems like that is now not going to happen. But Chris Lynn, uh, who is, if anything, more of a star of the Big Bash than David Warner is, even if he's not got the same international pulling power, uh, he is signed up, I think, in a draft list, but he is yet to receive an NOC from Cricket Australia. And I think they might be reluctant to give him one. And that might be a story that could run and run uh, on, on that. So that's the UAE T20 League and South Africa T20 League. They both signed up lots of players. I'm not going to name them all. Uh, as Phil said, the IPL team's brandings are all over lots, all of the teams. Uh, and it's been confirmed with the price brackets. These will essentially be the joint second most lucrative leagues uh, in the world after the IPL. I mean, we've talked a lot about League ecosystem. So obviously, was touching it. We don't need to get too much more into it. But if you were one of those that predicted that we're headed for an expanded IPL with lots of sub IPLs with Indian investment as dominating the schedule and the game. Well, I guess this has been a a good week for <laughs> for that
3: uh prediction. So I've I've got kind of contrasting emotions to the UAE one and the South Africa one. The UAE one, yeah, been like it's just Harlem Globetrotters stuff. It's like a circus basically of just all these players. Okay, it is what it is. South Africa we we spend a lot of our time talking about how the nations outside of england australia and india need a financial boost all this money that's in india needs to go to these nations to boost the game to help spread it to then i hate this phrase but give back whatever is surely if you're a, a south, a doing the wisdom cricket podcast in south africa you go this is actually probably quite a good thing for us it's really going to boost the game here and if that happens i've realize i'm kind of playing devil's advocate here without knowing if I actually agree with what I'm saying if that then happens in the Caribbean as well and or Sri Lanka or whatever and you have this kind of nine month IPL type thing where teams aren't players aren't hopping about they're actually staying to the same team the whole time then you do have that level of consistency and you do have these regions where we've said they need money in the game and they're getting it and that could that I I, the IPL should pay me some cash, actually. I'm making an argument for them. Um, but yeah, so I, I, on one level, I despair. On the other hand, this idea like that Trent Bolt is this tipping point. I feel like if you're a West Indian fan, you're like, well, we're sad because we had 10 years of Trent Bolt, but we've lost so many people before we even had those 10 years. Like, this has been going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if what we'll see as well is possibly that these tournaments
0: help perhaps South Africa cricket to survive and to continue to produce players while leading to the increased irrelevance of say cricket south africa and if we see that it's, it's the same with cricket west indies versus west indian cricket if, if you're say mumbai indians and you know that you rely on these this brilliant south african talent to be your overseas players uh why not sort of cut out the middleman you you just f- have your mumbai indians uh sort of outpost there and you're the actual the center for cricket in that area you're the the, the people that are going out saying like looking for the talent Bringing it through, having the youth systems there, uh, and not then being beholden to these things. You, you and if, if you're if it's these owners, then actually own the tournaments. You're the ones who are receiving more of the rewards that way as well. I could see that being a possible.
1: It's a it's a devilishly difficult problem, and your point is absolutely valid and good. And set, cricket South Africa's financial horrors have at least been alleviated with, due to this deal with the IPL. But the knock-on effects it doesn't take a genius to work out what the knock-on effects are. And uh, if we ignore the mission creep of T20 cricket for a moment and just look at the impact that it's having on, on the South African national side, uh, Neil Manthorpe, who is, you know, is like the, the boss of South African journalism, alongside with Fidu, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, he's spoken to some of the South African players who are said to be devastated by the news that they're, three-match ODI series against Australia has been binned as a consequence of this new T20 tournament. Uh, Now, that means that they're potentially sacrificing 30 points in the the World Cup qualifying league, which will therefore mean that they'll have to play in Zimbabwe next summer to try and qualify for the World Cup. Now, as we know, in white ball cricket, anything can happen. So what we are really saying here is that cricket, cricket South Africa, and this is not even a criticism of them because can only imagine what they're up against financially, trying to keep a dysfunctional system vaguely afloat, albeit there have also been many accusations of mismanagement, but they are faced with the prospect of financial oblivion or potentially weakening their chances of their national side appearing in the world cup now that is that is a brutal Sophie's choice of a situation that is rock on a hard place stuff absolutely it is uh but it still chills the bones when you think about the knock on ramifications of 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 this change a change which now means that if you are an established Mumbai Indian player then you'll be playing now for five months straight away five months already now from the from next next winter onwards it's only going to expand and the result of that will that that the, the other stuff the stuff that we we recognize will contract uh we have to learn we have to find a way to accept that uh And we need to talk about it more in depth and find solutions, I think, uh, rather than just wring our hands and say, well, the world's changed and isn't it rubbish?
0: There was one other interesting development this week, which is the BCI just sort of reiterating that their players are not allowed to play in uh, these international tournaments. And I wonder how long that will last for, if that will become a point of tension between these team owners and the BCI because they're wanting to send, you know, their gun young India player Say so you're, you're pretty sure your guy Gaikwad is not uh in the India side, but is clearly good enough to be an overseas player in one of these tournaments, and they want to go and get them some exposure and improve them. Australia Captain Meg Lanning is taking a break from the game. Uh, she says, after a busy couple of years, I've made the decision to take a step back, to enabled me to spend time focusing on myself. I'm grateful for the support of CA and my teammates and ask that my privacy is respected during this time. Uh, wish her the best, obviously. um
1: Yeah, sure. There's nothing untoward about that.
0: No, no, no. But I guess it's just is it's it? just it's just more that there's it just shows again the the pressures and the weight of international cricket being played so much even on women's players and just that if, if if the best batter there has been in the in the women's game is missing a substantial match of cricket that is a bad thing for international cricket as a whole. Uh, ideally, she comes back refreshed and uh, and everything else. Yeah, I guess it's, so. it's, it's, it's not it's not related to the the T Twenty League stuff, obviously. No, it's no, cricket.
1: no. Of course not, but. I did read a couple of pieces around her short-term removal of herself from the game to recharge her batteries and take a break and so on. Um, I don't know if it's indicative of that much, really. You know, I mean, she's, she's trod the boards for 10 years and more relentlessly. If she wants to have a few months just to have a breather before no doubt coming back because she's cricket-obsessed anyway and got a lot more still to achieve. I don't think that's necessarily reflective of of the parlour state of scheduling again and all of that. I mean, in women's cricket in particular, they've been t- crying out to play more across COVID for a year and a half or a year or so. It was very difficult to find too many games of cricket, especially for the women, particularly for the women. Uh, so, yeah, sure, we wish her well, but I'm not sure there's, there's that much to get too concerned about there.
0: Well, here's hoping. Uh, On to the 100. Lots of English players have made lots of very quick runs. We'll try and cover as many of them as we can uh let's start with dad milan who has made an unbeaten 88 and 98 in his last two innings taha he surely has to play the t20 world cup what does that mean when ben stokes comes back in as it looks like he surely will well it kind of
2: if you look if if the plan is to have stokes and to have him in the top four then you've got uh you've got butler obviously plays best obviously plays and then stoke and so it's just a shootout, right? Basically it becomes between Roy and Milan. And right now they could you know, the contrast is is, is stark. Uh Roy, what, two ducks in a row, three ducks and in four innings in the hundred. Um, this was kind of this this had to be the tournament for him to be look, I've had a tough international summer, but now I'm gonna hit some runs in the hundred and and that'll get get him on the plane and get him in the side that that starts the World Cup. Um, but the way Milan's playing and he's playing he's playing well, but also there's a a good piece on our our site um, about how Milan is kind of changed his game as well before, you know, the criticism before when he was obviously tearing up um, and averaging 50 in in T20s for England was that he was a slow starter, but that's kind of gone away now as well. He's starting, starting quickly. So there's not that issue. He's not kind of holding the back, holding back uh, the side in any way. Uh, And so it's becoming, it's, it's not looking good for Jason Roy basically um it's kind of hard to see how he fits into that starting 11 if he's if he just continues the way he is right now but also when it comes to picking a world cup squad i think people forget that there aren't that many places for a batters. you have to stock up on your bowling options um because that's where you're going to rotate more you kind of have a fixed batting lineup and you might have the what kind of the one reserve batter um in that that 15 uh and then when you look at jason roy where else is he going to bat in that england england side he's he's a top order player uh you might be looking at someone who's a bit more flexible um someone who can slot in up and down the order where phil salt might become more of an appealing option because he's bad at six for england um kind of very briefly that is obviously but got a half century there in the caribbean and then has and can open and that has that is where he's been in t20s uh and so you know it's it becomes a serious dilemma that we're, we're we're getting to this point uh the obviously upside is, for, for Roy's perspective, is still those seven games of Pakistan, and whether they take him there, they have someone else that they have in mind is who can replace him. Or obviously, I've just talked what that kind of first choice top four could look like, where they try out both things and see what happens basically, uh, and then make the call about the the, the final the final squad. Mm.
0: Uh, if England were looking for uh, another opener, they've got options: uh, Wills, Jackson, Smeed both made hundreds this week, the first two in the competition's history uh since all that time ago when it began. Uh, they are both quite good, aren't they, Cam?
3: Oh yeah, it, it's it's like Taha said, hey. yeah, that's that's my insight today that they are very good. Um it's like Taha was saying, um it's not like if Roy wasn't scoring runs and there weren't all these other options, then you kind of carry on with your lives a little bit. But there aren't very many places and it is another kind of kind of three into one situation. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems Roy has at the moment is is he is he cares about getting out in a t- T20 game. I remember speaking to a player before and being like, do you care when you get out in a 2020 match? And he was like, well, c- kind of, but not really, because you, you can't. Like, You're going to play loads of them, and you're going to get out. That's the whole point in taking all these risks. And here, like two or three days ago, uh, Roy got out, and it took so long for him to get off. The next ball had been bowled by the time he got into the changing room he walked in, it's a glass panel, so it's not exactly very private. And You see him, he whacks like something with his bat. He goes into the changing room, you hear another massive bang, and you see like some over-invincible staffer walk out kind of sheepishly. Like he looks really emotionally invested in each innings he plays. I think that's really dangerous if you're a T20 player, because the whole point is you've got to throw caution to the wind. He is a world-class uh, dressing
1: room breaker.
3: Oh yeah, Smasher. Well, that's why, I was, that's why I was keeping an eye and an ear out
1: because it's yeah, great fun. He's fame fame for it. If you play like on the edge as he does, as selflessly as he does, then you've got to be you've got to be on it all the time. And it only takes a tiny, tiny shift in the dial for it to become unworkable. And hopefully, we haven't seen that with him. And this is just a period of time where he's struggling for runs. But uh, he's been trying trying this for a long time, and and. Yeah, you are starting to get the sense that maybe that way of playing has had its has had its time uh, with Jason Roy. I hope that's not the case because I like him a lot and he's great fun to watch and you'll struggle to find a less less selfish cricketer out there than Jason Roy. Uh, but just on those two Wills, I mean, Will Jacks, it's only a matter of time before he plays for England. Only a matter of time. Uh, he's had a dream summer uh, and could yet be the player of the year uh, for the MVP, the PCA MVP, I think he's in second at the moment um, across all the formats. Brilliant cricketer playing at the top of his game. I think he won that in 2020 as well. Did he? The MVP. overall domestic? Uh, or not the T21. one? won the not T21, the... yeah, because yeah. I think he was top runs. But in the overall, which counts for all, all the three formats, uh, although of course he's only playing two. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's been superb this year. and Only a matter of time before he plays for England. I think he'll probably go on that Pakistan tour for what it's worth. Both legs of it.
0: Uh, on the table itself, London Spirit are top with four wins from four. Trent Rockets are also uh, unbeaten. They've got three wins from three and Oval Invincibles have three wins from four. Uh, the Women's 100 has started on Thursday. There have been lots of big scores, three of the four highest since it began last year. Uh, there have also been a few complaints about the conditions, about whether that's a good thing or not. So Danny Gibbs, who plays for London Spirit, tweeted, the size of the boundary at Headingley today for the women was too small. The women's game has developed so much since the KSL years and bigger boundaries make it a much better contest between fielders and batters it was either four or ones today uh i guess phil there's a balance to be struck between allowing lots of runs to be scored the sort of crowd pleasing element that that brings and allowing the manipulation of the ball into gaps and the working of the angles etc that can kind of make the women's game unique
1: yeah i thought that actually earlier in the summer i thought that it had gone a wee bit too far the other way i think it does in the men's game as well you know the creeping boundaries get ever smaller uh, and I think we, we do have to be mindful of that in, across both formats, both both gendered formats. I think there's, especially in the women's game, there's so much more going on than brute power. And I think that needs to maybe be be respected a little bit more. You know, it's, not everyone's turning up to see, see you know, another four or another six. There's, there's more to the game than that.
0: Uh, well, one thing that I picked out from the Women's 100 was uh, Ovalent's Bulls dropping their captain and... Wizard of the Year, Dene Van Niekert yesterday. Uh, they do have an amazing array of overseas options. So yeah, they, they what dropped, a team. They dropped her for her wife, Marazan Cap, So uh, Susie Bates captained instead and they've also got Shabnam Ismail in there as well. Cam, you've been to a lot of 100 this past week. Can you pick out one thing that's caught your eye? Uh,
3: I quite enjoyed the reaction uh, to... M- Marcus Stoinis got out to Mohamed Hasnain and basically inferred that he was chucking it on his way off. Um, this got quite a big reaction on social media is that it was a disgrace uh, I thought it was quite funny um I also potentially I I don't know if I care if people throw it if you're chucking it I don't think it makes you less skilled like I don't think you, you can't give the ball to anyone and be like throw it down there and you'll be an amazing world-class bowler or thrower or pitcher and I got the first got this from Gareth Batty the Surrey coach and spinner he said if there was one rule change he could have in cricket he would change the flex to about 25 degrees because he was saying that in Sri Lanka, all the net bowlers are world class. Because they've all grown up wanting to be like Murali. And so you net and you face these bowlers who are better than what you face in the test match. And he says, they're not, they're not bad cricketers. They're incredible cricketers. And we just don't see them because we decide that 15 degrees is, is the rule. So what I'm saying is... You've, uh, you've rescued a,
1: a very valid point there, actually. I like that. Oh, thanks, mate. I like that from from gb i yeah. like that idea just, um,
0: just for context on the Hasnain stoinis thing uh Hasnain has recently returned from a ban for an illegal action and that that ban was actually preceded by another australia all-rounder making a suggestion on the field moys and reeks during the bbl saying nice throw mate after after
3: his deliveries the, the um, aussies love this like dan christian called up chris green the off spinner they are obsessed um, with it aren't they? What a, good, what a good, like, yeah, everyone. if we all throw it, we'll all have more fun.
0: On to the One Day Cup. Uh, Mark asks, are we all just living in a Toby Albert universe? And Mike Martin asks, can Hans do the treble with effectively three different teams? Hampshire won five and five in the One Day Cup. They've won the blast. They are well in the running for the county championship. Phil, can you say some nice things about Hampshire, please?
1: <laughs> I don't need to because the records, the, the numbers speak themselves. I mean, they, they they could legitimately walk away with all three. As we said a few weeks ago, I think they've got marginally the easier run in in the four-day stuff. Vince will be back to captain the side for that. Uh, they've got proper strength in depth, as you've as you've seen. Uh, they have a very good youth youth policy as well. It helps that they have money for sure, but they they bring through good cricketers. You know, Tom Press is a very very good young cricketer, for example, and and that's what you need if you want to compete in across all three. You need you need players coming up uh through the ranks to compete in fifty over cricket. They they have that. Uh they've recruited really, really well in four-day cricket, you know, to nab a bass from Leicester was was clever. Again, money, money talks, of course it does. To recognise that Kyle Abbott could commit himself basically full time to being a Hampshire cricketer. Uh they've done really, really well. Um and uh Vince is an interesting character in himself and i think joe may have touched on this in the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago but he interviewed vince and it's a revealing interview i thought and joe makes the legit point that there's a lot more substance to vince than people think he's quite a self-facing character can come across as a wee bit aloof from time to time uh but he's been in charge of that club since 2015 right so that is what 7 years now he's been in charge of hampshire across all formats yeah that's that's a titanic stretch really uh, and he's on the verge now of of joining the the ranks of the really really top county captains, alongside say a tender charter. If you're looking across the 20th twenty first 21st century, if they can if they can complete this dream year and he can walk away with the double, and the underlings can do the business in the 50 over stuff, then that that goes down in, in legend. That's that's Warwickshire 94 stuff. You know, uh, no team's won all three in one year. Um, in the 2020 era. So it would be incredible.
0: Mm. Uh, So Hampshire are leading group B, Stevie Eskenazi's Middlesex are leading group A with four wins from five. Uh, Eskenazi's been in incredible form. He broke two quite niche records, but uh, the record for the most list day runs in three consecutive innings and becoming the first player in history to three 130 plus scores in three consecutive list day innings. Uh, Cam, why hasn't he got a hundred deal?
3: Uh, I love that you can make any world record if you just caveat it with enough numbers. Yeah. He scored loads of runs. Um, I think Eskenal is quite interesting at the moment. I think he's a bit of, in a bit of limbo in that England rate him. So he was part of the England Lions squad for the 50 over stuff um, and scored two half centuries. So they obviously consider him as, as part of the top 12 kind of best white ball batters in the country uh, in this day cricket or whatever. And yet the franchises just don't seem to fancy it um however on the surface that seems like a massive injustice but i think it could actually work out really well for him come next year when there's a world cup and england are looking for people who might need to have a slot in the middle order and if no one's played the format for four years and you've got a bloke who's averaging 100 in the in the competition as this weird anomaly he could be i don't even think i don't think it'd be fair to call him a bolter he's obviously in their plans he's performed when he was there um so yeah, rather than glass half empty, I think it's glass half full for Eskenazi. If you keep scoring list day runs, it could be a, a shout for the England side. But that's,
2: I mean, I kind of wonder how much going forward England will look at your your list day record when actually picking a 50-over a side. Because, um, no, because of the nature of the competition, they they will acknowledge the that, you know, these are these are essentially county reserve sides, right? Um and so you I think you will they will still kind of look at T20 records hundred records and 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 build from there for sure. Um,
3: but it's still, there's just there's a weight of runs that goes along with that and the kind of rhythm of the formats. Like no matter who's bowling at you, if you're scoring, if you if you're the first person ever to score three consecutive scores more than 130, like, you're obviously doing something right.
2: I guess the case is you have to put an. In- extraordinary case forward basically right which is what he was doing i think if you're somewhat just averaging 40 50 in the, in this kind of royal london one day cup i don't think that's yeah. really gonna Not get you get you into that time
0: cheshwa pajara is also good uh, he made a new list day best of 174 for sussex and it's very close to pushing his list day average above those of virat Kohli and baba razam so we'll be keeping a close eye on that uh, and to quickly round up the rest of world cricket this week, uh, Shakib Al hassan has been named Bangladesh captain for the T20 World Cup, which is nice for him. And Ireland are currently <laughs> two one up in a T20 series against Afghanistan. Tar, so are you it's fair to say they've had a decent time of it without getting results over the line? What What have you made of them T20 World Cup hopes that sort of thing? They've been
2: they've been they they keep pushing teams, and they've played what New Zealand. Uh, South Africa um and kind of giving them scares but they just haven't had that kind of ability to get it over the line. And now they're playing Afghanistan that, you know, these are two sides that kind of in my head you think they've played each other all the time, but they actually haven't over the last couple of years. It's usually the the, the case is you look at Ireland and um you look for Paul Sterling to see if he gets runs. But he's not really been getting too many uh, this year. So you know, Logan Tucker's doing doing all right. Um well Harry Texter looks a good player. Um and what scored a couple of hundreds yeah 200
0: yeah. yeah and quick runs against india as well
2: but uh, i mean the, the the story that is kind of uh th- that i'm quite enjoying is sort of george dockrell who has been around for yonks you know came through as a left arm spinner who got rid of tendulka at the world cup and now is just this guy who just smashes it at number five number six or kind of just in that lower middle order in a in a t20 um doesn't really bowl um and and now he's going to probably head to the T20 World Cup and be a pretty, you know, Ireland's finisher.
0: Mm. Well, good stuff. That's all we've got time for this week. Uh, so thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed what you've heard, please leave us a nice, maybe a five-star review on the app. For your choice.
4: Podcast Network.